social networks. Real? You want to talk about reality? We haven't lived in anything remotely close to it since the turn of the century. We turned it off. Forgot the batteries. Snacked on a bag of GMOs while we... Toss the remnants in the ever-expanding dumpster of the human human branded houses. Trademarked by corporations built on bipolar numbers. Jumping up and down on digital displays. Hypnotizing us into the biggest slumber mankind has ever seen. Just to dig pretty deep, kiddo. Before you can find anything where you live in a kingdom of bullshit. We really do live in a kingdom of bullshit. I think you agree. Yet that clip from Mr. Robot is an appropriate example of this week's theme. The Damon. Sure, in the scene you may wonder if Elliot, played by Rami Malek, is hallucinating his anarchist dad, played by Christian Slater. But Elliot's hallucination eventually helps him bring down the kingdom of bullshit. And let's face it, what's out there right now, the hologram of the Empire? is far less logical and benign than anything we of the broken places can concoct in any feverish delusion. Only a mad god would imagine this century. As Krishnamurti said, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. See, their morals, their code, it's a bad joke. Dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. Maybe what's in our heads is a complex or shadow manifestation. A disassociative personality or two. A phantasm. Or maybe it's our higher self. Whatever it is, it's still far more real and helpful than what's currently out there and you'll soon learn the hacks and rituals on how to access this eldritch bitch. Is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? Ah, uh, it's raining noses. Hallelujah. Welcome, and you know where you are. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was... Aeon Gnostic Radio. An initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult, culture, and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week I, your host Miguel Connor, commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Fun, compelling, and deeply weird. This is the blow your mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on. 
and you deserve to be here. For you are a shining crazy diamond who can ignite the universe with so much wonder. All our scars, our anger, our despair, it's armor. Baby, God loves the sinners best because our fire burns bright, bright, bright. Time to meet your Damon. As Alistair Crowley wrote in Magic Without Tears, it should never be forgotten for a single moment that the central and essential work of the magicians is the attainment of the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel. And as Jung said, in each of us there is another whom we do not know. Say it. Because we're the same person. People do it every day. They talk to themselves, they see themselves as they'd like to be. They don't have the courage you have to just run with it. For this aeonic pleasure, Cat Rose Nelligan materializes at the virtual Alexandria. She will discuss her kick-arse new book, Discovering Your Personal Daemon. Be on a dynamic journey on the concept of the daemon, Cat provides a host of usable exercises and techniques to get you doing the tango with your familiar, totem, or spiritual guide. Get you ready to start seeing through this kingdom of bullshit. You're all individuals! Yes, we're all individuals! I love works like Cat's that are both extremely educational and practical. Anthony Peake would be proud of this work, and he cited, and so would Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas. After all, the work is written by Didymus Thomas. Didymus in Greek means twin, and Thomas in Aramaic means, yes, twin. Thus, the Gospel is the mystic dialogue between a higher and lower syzygy for the goal of spiritual wholeness. Mani had a divine twin, too. Simon and Ellen are probably daemons of each other. And the earthly Jesus in the Pista Sophia got a visit from his divine self or daemon as a child. Valentinus said every person has an angelic counterpart watching over them, long before Christianity ripped him off for the concept of the guardian angel. Jung had Philemon slash Simon Magus. Dick had horse lover Fat and others. If you ask me, I personally have an entity called the White Wolf that saved my life and soul a few times. Last night, I woke up and I saw me staring down at myself. Oh yeah? I think it was a future me. Could something like that be possible? Time travel? It seemed like I was there to, to help me or warn me or something. Maybe it was an alternate self communicating with you from an alternate universe. So find your Damon, your Tyler Durden or Mr. Robot, if you want any hope in bringing down this kingdom of bullshit. They may call us crazy and evil, but in Rick and Morty, we recently found out that evil Morty isn't evil. He just wanted a way out of the countless universes ruled by his grandfather, Rick, 
an apt representation of the demiurge and the true evil that is scientism and reason run amok. As Evil Morty says, that's why I'm evil, because I'm sick of him. And if you ever felt the same, then you're evil too. Yep, we're sick of the rulers of this age, the rulers of this terra damnata, this black iron prison. Don't run. Nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. Everybody's gonna die. Come watch TV. I like what my friend Jim told me recently on a cool angle on Gnosis. He said, Gnosticism and Gnosis have been defined a myriad of different ways. From Valentinus to heresiological polemics to New Age prescriptions where Gnosticism tends to be everything and its opposite. One then gets the impression that Gnosis is a bit of a moving target. This, however, isn't all far off base, since I would argue that it is both a transcendent state that eludes ephemeral attempts to describe it. All of which makes sense, given that it transcends language itself or else can be described by a higher and more divine form of language that eludes normal human expression. Yet at the same time, this exalted information, if you will, is perhaps best understood in our world in the simplest possible terms as the knowledge of good and evil. This state tends to mutate during different epochs here on Earth, all of which is to say, basically, among other things, Gnosis also can be understood as nothing other than the Apple of Eden. The ultimate deep state of consciousness, one which forever begets an awareness of the holy and unholy, divide between divine knowledge above and the ugly, forbidden knowledge of the serpent experienced down below. One might say that this knowledge comes with the critical asterisk that Gnosis likewise is a form of self-knowledge that persists through the fourth dimension time unto which we've fallen, such as the nature of our fallen state in this world. There's only one hell, Princess. The one we live in now. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. On a related mythological note, it's worth mentioning that this divine self-knowledge became only too self-evident to Adam and Eve as soon as they ate of the apple of Gnosis. I'd also add that as the world turns and modern world falls further and further down the abyss of evil towards its absolute nadir, this understanding of Gnosis becomes more and more useful to those trying to escape it. Just as it becomes only too self-evident as we relive Adam and Eve's experience, and along the same lines, it certainly seems to be the case that it has become more and more difficult, even for agnostics, to deny the ever more stark contrast between good and evil. Why do we have to have evil? Oh, I think it's something to do with free will. Come on then, back to creation. I mustn't waste any more time. 
They'll think I've lost control again and put it all down to evolution. Well said, Jim. We need that gnosis more than ever. And thus, we need to access our daemon to have a chance to separate the evil and good in this kingdom of bullshit. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! As a bonus for subscribers, beyond the full interview, I'll include an interview with Anthony Peak on, yes, The Daemon. A perfect compliment to an incredible interview with Kat. Don't miss it. First, let us have Elliot's Daemon for Mr. Robot give us more wisdom. Or Sophia. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. This whole time I thought changing the world was something you did, an act you performed, something you fought for. I don't know if that's true anymore. What if changing the world was just about being here, by showing up, no matter how many times we get told we don't belong, by staying true even when we're shamed into being false. By believing in ourselves even when we're told we're too different. And if we all held on to that, if we refused to budge and fall in line, if we stood our ground for long enough, just maybe, the world can't help but change around us. Even though we'll be gone, it's like Mr. Robot said, We'll always be a part of Elliot Alderson. And we'll be the best part. Because we're the part that always showed up. We're the part that stayed. We're the part that changed him. And who wouldn't be proud of that? This is the A.M. Byte interview, and with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Kat Rose Nelligan to discuss her great book, Discovering Your Personal Damon. Kat, how are you? And thanks for coming on A.M. Byte. I'm good, thank you. It's an honor to get to chat to you and, um, yeah, be on this side of the mic for once. <laughs> yes, yes. I love what you're doing in the podcast you are putting out. And, uh I know uh, I call it Damon, but you call it Diamond, right? Like Diamond. And uh, yeah, and I think it's the difference between the Greek pronunciation and maybe the like Latinized, the Roman version. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I'm I think it, I've heard kind of people who spell it D A I M O N say Diamond, and then the D A E M O N is more like Damon. I just get confused because I end up thinking about Matt Damon, so. I choose the diamond. Oh, no, that's terrible. Yeah, you don't want to summon that. <laughs> or maybe you really like him, Goodwill Hunting or something like that. That's really what the book is about, summoning that thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that's what I like. I like books that are well-researched, but also usable that you can say, okay, I learned a lot, but I can tap into this for my uh, daily life or add it to my uh, spiritual exercises. So this is great, and we certainly want to talk about this, and I'm sure we'll just scratch the surface. So, Damon or Diamond, this is not a hill you will die on, right? Right, or day on, yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever it is. All right, and with us, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you, and how will you pronounce it? 
Oh, okay. Well, I, I prefer uh, diamond because diamonds are a girl's best friend, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Matt Damon. Actually, I say da- I say Damon. I think. Yeah, interesting, interesting. All right. Well, awesome. Well, speaking of Damon's or diamonds, uh, how did you come to write this book? And I guess uh, uh, you might say, not surprising many people, it was your Damon who actually kind of jolted you to. Uh, Light of well, light of fire under your ass to get this book going, right? You lost a lot of uh, material. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and you kind of touched on it maybe at the beginning when you were saying about books that are meant to be used in a very practical way that we can integrate them into our daily life, and that's kind of what I was trying to do with my research on the diamond. I was reading a lot and trying to kind of get to grips with it. But a lot of the materials that I was reading, you know, I had to really kind of concentrate and um, not that that's a bad thing. It's probably a good thing for us to concentrate from time to time. But, <laughs> but basically, it, you know, I found myself kind of having to reread things, cross-reference things. And I was just like, how do I actually integrate this amazing, interesting um, information into my daily life? And so that's how the book kind of began. It began as a way for me to process these, uh, what I was learning as a personal project. And then, as you mentioned, um, I had a kind of moment earlier this year. So it was like kind of gathered probably as much information as I felt like I needed at the time. Right. And I was talking about the idea of publishing it with friends. Um, but then when I was updating my laptop uh, earlier this year, I lost most of what I'd, Ugh. well, the entire Scrivener project. So if you know that writing app, Ugh. somehow I just lost everything. And uh, I the had the worst some notes. feeling, the worst feeling in the world. We've all been there, right? <laughs> well, and it's almost like the um, what is it like the process of grief where you're first right. in denial and then it's rage. <laughs> and um, so but luckily I had enough saved. But in that moment where I was like, do I try to piece this back together with the scraps that I still have, um, or do I just give up the ghost and hope that my diamond doesn't leave me in a rage? <laughs> I took it as a sign from my diamond to really commit to it and. Yeah, that's how it um, came about. And I think it came about a lot quicker than I expected. I expected to still be working on it and probably for another year or so. But Yeah, because it was early 2021. So you lost everything and you really just got back on the saddle and bam, here we are. Halloween, Halloween season and you've got this coming out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I put a lot of things on pause and I'm not normally like that. I sort of am somebody who likes spinning a lot of plates. But this time, I think my diamond just said cat. I need your time. <laughs> Buckle down. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely find out uh, what the, the the Damon demands from us. And when did you, uh, have you always been a, a heretic or how was your evolution into the more uh, heterodox uh, arenas? Good point. I mean, I ha- I love the way you put that. Quite recent, basically, I would say that I oh. became um more interested in things like astrology for example i I was interested in like myers-briggs personality typology right you don't you know that you know what what your type is i'm curious uh it's the most rare one i just did it about a month ago everyone says they have the most rare one miguel (laughs) oh okay well the web maybe the website just shows you that no matter what you get so to make you feel uh aha i don't know introvert intuitive something something yeah i have to look it up yeah. And well, I, I was fascinated by that. And I did find that a very helpful test to take. And I learned a lot. Um, 
I was talking to a skeptic friend and, you know, skeptic with a capital S, this is this kind of part of her calling in life is to right. you know, question things. And of course. Said, well, I'd found a book that kind of mixed astrology with something called the Enneagram. And I was like, this, this is just a really wild book, Rebecca. Like I, I it says a lot of, about myself that that's true, but surely this isn't scientific. And she was like, well, no, it's not, but you know, neither is your Myers-Briggs stuff. And that really just turned my world upside down. Um, rather than thinking, well, I should ditch the Myers-Briggs stuff. I was like, I should take on the astrology stuff because it doesn't <laughs> need to be scientific for it to be useful. And then I kind of just started in the same way that I found your podcast. You know, I, I look up in my podcast app any topic that I'm interested in, and boom, you'll found you know you'll find um, you know lots of stuff, not all useful, but some amazing uh, uh, podcasts. And you know, one of them was the astrology podcast, and from there I kind of developed a real love for the study of the stars. And that that wasn't that long ago. That was maybe 2017. And and my world has sort of expanded a lot since then um, in different ways. Well, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I have taken the Enneagram and I forgot. Oh, my God, I forgot what it is. But uh, I got one. And then the person I was working with, uh, a union, she told me that I, by working on my dreams, that I had created this persona. And I was actually another type. I think I'm the, oh, wow. yeah, I was farther away. I think I got the investigator, but I'm actually the enthusiast, which is interesting. But she was able to show that sometimes we do create especially if you've had, let's say, a traumatic childhood or something like that, you will create a persona around you to protect yourself and you can actually fool the Enneagram. So um, just a little tidbit out there for everybody. Yeah, and it makes sense. And it's kind of the reason why I've sort of landed on astrology because you can't lie. You you, you cast the chart and it is what it is. Um, right. Yeah. It is indeed, it is indeed. Well, awesome, awesome. Glad to see you have joined this uh, this party of blasphemy and inner knowing and all that good stuff because it just doesn't uh, it just doesn't end. And when did you first hear about the daemon? And, and that was through astrology. So through astrology, I was on my, yeah. yeah, I was on my way to um, an astrology conference, and this episode of a podcast came on, and it was talking about a technique where you find um let's say the strongest planet in your your birth chart and that was related according to some early astrologers to the nature of your personal diamond and i think i'd read not that long ago james hillman's book called the soul's code don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar with that yeah yeah, yeah. and actually seeing how th that concept of um this 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 guide of destiny basically could actually be found in the birth chart was like amazing to me I really spoke to everything that I was interested in and the more I researched it through um, another book called the diamond in Hellenistic astrology uh, the more I saw that actually everything about astrology like the foundations of it has has its kind of roots in this concept of the diamond uh, yeah so cool. that set me off yeah awesome and uh why don't we talk before we even get into defining the history of the daemon and all that good stuff? Uh, what are some of the main misconceptions of the daemon? And you you do list them in your book. I guess we should start that first of all, it's not a demon. <laughs> yes, yeah, ex exactly. It's it's not a demon. Um, it, there are different ways of you know seeing whether or not 
whether or not the, the demon the diamond got confused with the demon um but a lot of people point their finger at early christianity and um yeah so often when i say it to people they kind of not everyone but a lot of people will think oh that doesn't sound um too you know it's it, it, it sounds a bit menacing when you start talking about finding a a, a diamond but uh yeah it's 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 not the same i would say that there is a dark side to the diamond mm-hmm. but for example if you're not tending to it if you're not paying attention to it that seems to be when we see a more demonic side to it um but yeah that 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 would be one um another misconception would be the daimon is not here to do your bidding so uh, and i think this and there are different approaches to this but for me the way i understand the the personal daimon is that it's really the other way around the daimon is here to show us what it wants us to do um you know we might be steering the ship but really it's the daimon that um is has the map effectively um another misconception would be the daimon can be identified by or understood like in full through astrology through identifying the strongest planet in your chart and this is something that i was really hoping would be true um and i, I do believe that identifying the strongest planet in a birth chart can speak to either a kind of daimon or um it can hint at the nature of your daimon potentially but it's also you know it's it's not the only way to find find the diamond and i think um my kind of like analytical mind really wanted to go there and really wanted astrology to be the one and only answer to my connection with the diamond but the more i looked into it the more that doesn't seem to be the case fully and the final misconception that i outline is this kind of personal reminder to myself really which is once the diamond is discovered your work with the diamond is complete um and to me it's it's you really just don't carry it through the threshold like a wedding and that's it <laughs> honey make my dinner and all that i'm done <laughs> rub my feet diamond, yeah, yeah. diamond. wait <laughs> the real work starts basically <laughs> exactly exactly and it, maybe that's book too i mean i i don't know but I, i am interested in what it looks like to actually walk um like live a life with the diamond and um develop that relationship exactly exactly and for the audience uh I know I'm going to geek out a bit on Gnosticism, but I think the word demon or diamond, doesn't it mean cat helper in Greek, uh, the original? Oh, that's interesting. Well, diamond, one of, yeah, one of the ways that I had diamond, it's been translated as literally the word destiny, which I find fascinating. Oh. Um, and also to, it comes from the root da, which means to distribute, as in like to distribute lots, which is something I kind of touched on the, in the book. But I hadn't heard, heard the helper one. That's really interesting. That's what I've heard uh, yeah. in a few places, but uh, yours uh, works too. And and it should be mentioned, that's kind of how when the Gospel of Judas came out, uh, the first translations had Jesus calls uh, Judas his, his, his daemon. Oh. And P- scholars were like, ah, this cements it. Judas is actually in a holy destiny. He was a necessary sacrifice for Christ to be, uh, well, to to finish his uh, mission here on the material world. But then once they dated it to the, what, second middle, late second century, 
the uh, other scholars realized that the word daemon had already switched in Christ not just Christianity, but also Gnosticism in general to a negative term. So it was realized that Jesus was actually scolding Judas. Nothing had changed. Well, well, it's, that's so interesting. I hadn't heard that. And this is why I love having these conversations, because I'm learning stuff about the, the daemon all the time. But I like that original concept, which speaks more to Judas, even though he was presenting yeah. himself as a a difficult character in his life <laughs> it was still what it was what destiny wanted basically and destiny diamond same thing yeah and they're still debating of course if if they can date it earlier that's a key right if you can date it earlier when the term was positive then you've got the argument but right now if you date it later the, the, see how a word simply yeah. switches in a culture immediately so yeah 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 so um yeah interesting um so we talked about the daemon being helper. Um, I let's look at some other definitions so we can get some context. I like how uh, you bring an array of characters throughout history. It's amazing how many great figures relied on the daemon or the genius or <laughs> to really help them with uh, who they were to make an impact on history. And one of them is uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe who considered the daemon to be, quote, something which reveals itself only in contradictions, in which, therefore, cannot be encompassed under any concept, still less under a word. So uh, that one, I love that one because that sort of uh, threw me for a loop. Well, and I love that too, because it was something that um, in the original version of the book, I had a whole kind of section where I was trying to get that point across, which the diamond is an intermediary character. It's not one or the other. And I just love that. I, I love that it's a liminal creature and it resists defining. Um, and I guess where I ended up with the book was it's kind of like a, it is actually like a diamond in that you, you're right. kind of turning it around in your hand. You're, you're looking at the different facets of it. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's why that we'll always have people arguing about it, I guess, because um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to pin down. Well, yeah, it's it's like a concept, like the concept of the soul, or uh, we were talking about Neoplatonism, Neoplatonism before the interview, Kat, uh, the concept of the news. Uh, it's right. uh, 10 different scholars and platonic philosophers will give you 10 different words or gnosis or yeah. other thing. I think that's that's what's great, right? Because it's dynamic. It's a living thing. It's yeah. uh, it's like you said, it's liminal and it changes as we change. Yeah. And and if you want this, this puts the personal, I think, in personal diamond. And I am trying to invite people to take in this, these ideas. And while I don't go, I don't think very deep into any one of them. I, hopefully I'm giving people a bit of a, a buffet of concepts surrounding the, the diamond and they can take from that what they they want and feels true for them and uh yeah hopefully their diamond will show them the rest <laughs> yeah and uh, because i mean right now just as we've spoken in 15 minutes we've said the daemon is a helper the daemon is destiny the daemon is our higher selves the daemon is an ontological figure so people's heads are probably spinning like who is this guy mm -hmm. <laughs> And yeah. uh, and it could be all of the above. I like the destiny one because obviously, like you said, and uh, something that I've really hammered on the show is we all have a higher purpose and we all have a destiny. 
and our daemon is that destiny and it will facilitate our destiny and it will bring us a world of pain if we resist that destiny exactly and if this is probably one of my if not you know my favorite concept of the daemon um and recently it was confirmed in a a copy of plato's republic that i found um or stole from my dad but basically it it has (laughs) the, the, the myth of uh um, in it and that's one of these key texts that really inspired me when it came to the, the diamond and in it I was scanning for, for the bit where it gets to the diamonds and the souls being um, either choosing or getting allotted a, a diamond and I couldn't see it anywhere and I realized what I was reading was destiny instead of diamond right. that the, the translator was actually using destiny instead of diamond which I thought was um, qu- quite literal um, an exchange yeah and this kind of concept of um, meeting your destiny and getting to know it is really central to astrology. And and not just that, I, I think for me, it's kind of become this way that I deal with life, <laughs> um, a worldview, basically. Uh, and and I, I don't know, I mean, de- destiny itself is kind of hard to define, but there's a quote in the book from this um, psychologist, Alexandra Lowen, uh, I don't know if I have the exact one, but he's effectively saying fate and dis- destiny are different things. And um, fate is more likened to what you are and destiny is more like what you become. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, Love like, it. you know, fish are fated to swim and birds are fated to fly, but that is not their destiny. And um, yeah, so I think diamond destiny can, can be a helpful way to a lens through which we can see our own fate and maybe become better friends with it. Yeah, well, really well said. And uh, for the audience, the myth of Ur, I don't know if you want to explain more, but that's sort of Plato's mm-hmm. central idea of how we are reincarnated. But for some dumb reason, we forget our past yeah. lives or what, or when we choose our life, right? We cho- Or the daemon chooses our life or we choose our next life. <laughs> so it's something like this. So um, <laughs> the idea is that the, the souls have been uh, given lots so so they're, they're given these like numbers like it's like a lottery literally um, and then they go before lachesis and, and that can be translated as one special lot or portion of fate she was one of the uh, the fates literally and she sent with each as the god and I'm quoting now from James Hillman and she sent with each as the guardian of his life and the fulfiller of his choice the diamond that had been chosen so it suggests that we choose our diamond as well as our lives it's almost like we've got these little scripts that we get to pick from before we come into incarnation and we get our little diamond that is going to help remind us of that because we forget um and i just i've just loved that whole story um yeah again it's a it's an incredible story and for the audience if you want to know Jungian ideas or beyond james hillman is the man to go to or or researcher writer he's just He's just an incredible, a font of wisdom, I would say. And on the other hand, another image that really spoke to you, and I was like, oh, my God, this is also a very good aha moment for me, too. And that's in the Bible when Jacob is wrestling the angel, and you uh, give us the the daemon uh, uh, side of it, if you would. Yeah, and I, I didn't know this story particularly well, but... Um especially when you look at the the artwork that that depicts this moment with Jacob wrestling with the uh, angel or the the diamond um 
And there's a moment where so they've been wrestling all night and, and Jacob's like, tell me your name. And the angel is like, no, um, but I'm going to give you your name. And this is I come to this because I was kind of questioning the concept of naming your diamond or finding its name. And um, I, I love this story of, of a kind of like resistance between, you know, whether the angel represents, um, you know, Jacob's diamond or like a kind of a personal face of God. Uh, I, I just love that it resisted itself being named. No, it makes sense. It's he's wrestling with his own, uh, his higher self, his ego, yeah, or destiny, either one. Yeah, once he stopped. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, Tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Uh, things went very well for the king, yeah. for Israel in general. So good, good, good angle. And uh, but when the, the daemon first started in ancient Greece, it wasn't as Byzantine or Baroque as you and I are talking about. It just the daemon was just sort of like a small spirit, a helper. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of thought of as a household god, the Agathos Daimon or the, the good spirit. Um, and it was kind of pictured in a kind of um, like Zeus or Jupiter way in that it was a god of abundance and good things happening to you. And you would, you know, pray to that. It had a kind of homely feeling to it. Um, it was, you know, and I say in the book, it, it was basically very ambiguous until we get to Plato. And, you know, we, we, we see diamond spirits in lots of different cultures and throughout time um but you know i'm kind of maybe i'm going off a little bit here but even in i think it, is it hesiod or is it homer um but it, it's the word diamond is just used like kind of all over the place and it's used to describe different concepts everything from yeah here it is uh in in homer's iliad the gods of mount olympus can be called diamonds um, and Aphrodite leads the way ahead of Helen as a daimon. A hero may rush headlong like a daimon and still be called godlike. It, it's it's just kind of loosey-goosey at this point. Yeah. Yeah, Kat, do you think that's because of this aspect of the diamond being part of our, you know, the, ourselves coming from the unconscious, an interface between ourselves and the, the greater universe? Yeah, I like that. Um yeah, a, a part of us. And I mean, I don't, I find it hard to even feel confident in talking about the unconscious because I'm not like a, a Jungian scholar or anything. And I. It, well, we all that, have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that idea of um, the diamond being part of us was something that I also kind of, it was one of the last things I wrote about because I, people, including my skeptical friend being like, could, could you at least consider the diamond as, as not being so separate to you, but really being part of your, your psyche or part of your um, even higher self. Um, well, yeah. yeah. If we listen to it and say, if we listen to it regularly and follow its guidance and so forth, then it is part of us because our actions are um, somewhat predicated on what we're hearing. Right? Yes. Yeah. Completely. Completely. 
Awesome. Well, let's get back to history. Um, also, too, you say that the Chaldean influence uh, is very important to the ancient Chaldeans. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's partly because we see, um, you know, for Daimon's spirits, they were just very present in ancient Chaldea. I think that's how you'd say it. Um, and at the same time, um, and you kind of had like, you know, good spirits, evil spirits. And, and at the same time, it, they weren't so personal. They weren't connected to one's individual soul. Um, you could be possessed by them, though. And that oh. idea of like possession by spirits, to me, that that becomes really interesting, um, partly because of this book I read. Um, I think it's called Anger, Madness and Creativity by Stephen Diamond, which is a great name to talk about the diamond. Yeah. Um, and, and he kind of goes into these different creatives throughout time being possessed in that way by their diamonds or yeah or their unconscious I mean you could totally call it that um part part of that anyway um so so yeah it, it's kind of like they they have these maybe um not fully good not fully evil but they have these kind of um almost trickster-like effects and I think any creative who has spent any real time let's say in their artwork or writing or dance has felt possessed on some level um and i think that that really does speak to the, the daimonic to me yeah that's for sure and also i didn't know but you say the jinn who you people could associate with the with the daemon is actually pre-islamic this was around the the area of uh, arabian mesopotamia very interesting yeah um yeah and it was really hard for me to kind of like track that back i, I just really didn't find a whole lot on that but then i did speak to um, actually an astrologist, Sam Reynolds, who has a lot more of a background in Islam and really looked into the jinn. Um, and it's thought that I believe like you can have a jinn and you can have a like a, a personal angel. So um. in that way, it's, it's still kind of like split and jinn. Again, some would say that they're sort of ambivalent figures. They're neither good nor bad. But I think some would also say that they're you know, purely um, difficult <laughs> creatures. Um, yeah, they're the created from smokeless fire mm. which i love i love that idea yeah indeed and and uh, could you tell the audience who the agathios daemon is very important figure in ancient greece yes and and that um was the idea that there was a kind of a household god that would was associated with abundance um it was paired with something called agathos uh, or agatha uh, 2k um which is related to fortune and basically Agathos Daimon uh, was like the kind of masculine figure and 2K or fortune was the feminine figure. And so you have destiny and fortune or destiny and fate kind of came as a pair. And, and that idea in the book, right. I just, I, like, that was one of my favorite things to write about because I just found that really, really beautiful that they actually had um, like em embodied the, these concepts in, in gods, in household gods that you would pray to. And for example, on, on the day after the new moon, um you would that's when you would leave out an offering to the agathos daimon very cool and yes you had the the daemon running or the little daemons running around doing their little animus things in ancient times and but then came socrates right and he sort of completely changed the history of the daemon didn't he thank goodness yes <laughs> yeah. exactly um and yeah like i said so up until this point at least in that kind of like Greco Egyptian world, it was still quite um 
you heard about daimons, but it wasn't until you get to Socrates where you really get this idea of a personal daimon or what he called the daimonian, which I believe was, uh, what was it? It's, it's like um, the, the sort of neutral term. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know not enough about like the, the Greek language, but, um, and he was just well known for having this kind of inner voice um, or this, this being um, that, that showed him the way. And the other interesting part to Socrates' daimon or daimonian uh, was that it wouldn't tell him what to do. It would just tell him what not to do. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I just thought that was quite funny. And, and there was a bit where um, I read about the, the daimon kind of taking a dislike to certain people and, and wouldn't like talk to all, or wouldn't give advice for all of Socrates' <laughs> um, acquaintances. So, yeah. And, and, and it was the reason that Socrates went so willingly, allegedly, to his death, um, because the daimon did not um, prevent him from doing that. Yeah, it felt it was this was part of his higher purpose. It was this was written in the stars, and that's what he should have done. That was his destiny, exactly. And it, that kind of put the idea of the daimon being this protective figure. Um, that that kind of like I, I kind of crossed that one off my list at that point because <laughs> I realized, okay, the diamond's going to protect us, but only if it serves our destiny, only if it serves the kind of script that the diamond has been given. Um, so that's something to remember. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but that his daemon also could tell him like predict the weather and things like that. Sort of. Uh, on the other hand, it still was kind of a familiar spirit. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, yes, so kind of a, a comp- company a kind of whisper the answers to the maths quiz in his ear it was kind of an ancient version of the iphone or the android yeah. <laughs> he could look at it and say oh okay alexa i mean diamond yeah <laughs> that would be a cool name for uh, the next uh, ai maybe the next yeah. one that ends up conquering humanity will oh, be God. called damon or diamond <laughs> feels right so then we have Socrates sort of uh, innovates or really sees the cosmos on a, in a broader sense. Then come, uh, obviously, uh, I've written and in the introduction, I talk a little bit about the concepts of Gnosticism, which jive with your concepts. And you have, uh, for example, the prophet Mani saw his divine twin, his higher self, visited him and said, you have to go on this destiny. Uh, in the Pista Sophia, Jesus has the same thing as a child. His uh, twin comes to him and says, hey, we got to, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. And there's other, many other instances. There's, the Gospel of Thomas seems like, uh, it doesn't seem like it's Thomas and Jesus. It seems like it's one person having a conversation. One's the higher, one's the lower, one's telling him, this is the nature of the universe. This is the nature of waking up and all that stuff. Uh, I guess uh, before we get to Neoplatonism and before we even get, uh, since I just talked about twins, before we get to calling on a daemon and all that, uh, the daemon can appear as a twin to us or sometimes is described as our twin soul or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I I wish, I mean, I'd like to have more time to to look in more to that side of things and check out the, the Gospel of Thomas more because I, I have, I found the idea of, Jesus and Thomas and and this idea that am I right in thinking that you would you would sort of aspire to be like Thomas and thereby kind of it would that be a kind of like theurgy 
Sorry, am I, am yeah. I going, I'm asking questions because I don't know enough. No, no, no. Great. Hey, questions are great. I mean, it's like the word Thomas in Aramaic is means twin, and then he calls him Didymos. Didymos in Greek means twin. So you're getting a twin, twin energy going on here. Right. So, uh, and Jesus is sort of having this conversation with Thomas and telling him, listen to what I have to say and you will not taste death. And then come the sayings, which on the nature of reality, the nature of the world, the nature of humanity and all, and all that good stuff. So uh, there's a diamond, uh, Elidon or whatever you call it, mm -hmm. uh, dynamic going on there. Yeah, yeah. And one of the stories, I want to say that this was in Anthony Peake's book, um, about oh gosh my mind's gone blank now the twin oh who was it, it was an author <laughs> it was the poet uh it was the poet yeah i just yeah, yeah. oh uh Shelley. 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 Yeah. Yeah, we said it yes <laughs> and i love that i the story where um he was visited basically um on on a boat i think his boat um by basically his identical twin it looked exactly like him and it just said to him how long do you intend to be happy which just sends shivers up my spine because it just mm, freaks no me the hell out and it's yeah. even more freaky when you realize that um i think less than a week or a week later um uh -huh. shelly was drowned at sea yeah so that just yeah so in that way you have these stories of um doubles and i love that idea of the, the divine double um, you can definitely, I think there's a, a great book uh, called The Divine Double, which might be worth checking out if people mm. are interested. Yeah, and I know uh, Anthony talks about in his book uh, that there in, in German lore, there is the idea of the doppelganger. If you see your doppelganger, you're going to die. Yeah, but I think there are yeah. other traditions, again, just talking about the Gnostics, so that that's not necessarily true. I had a uh, an acquaintance who said he walked by and he saw his his double and I was thinking, oh shit, you're going you're dead, dude. <laughs> so I, I really thought that. But then something really big happened to him, like good. So it's not, uh, well, don't live in Germany and see your 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 twin, <laughs> I guess, or or go on a boat. <laughs> the lesson was right, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I I guess just that idea that because um, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, is the diamond like our shadow? self mm. or what we're kind uh. of denying from ourselves, and you know that kind of makes me think a bit about the twin that it's part of us but maybe like the the disavowed part of us um that's an interesting way of seeing it potentially yeah and it also makes you wonder why are we so fragmented you think whatever's creating this universe could have just said hey you uh meet zach you be damon and human at the same time instead of all these structures but um huh speculating here maybe it's just the universe is not you know it's far from a good a perfect construct i don't know yeah yeah and maybe maybe on some level we wanted it to be that way i don't know exactly that wanted to challenge be boring the ego right uh, the ego wants to defend itself from anything that's considered unusual or make you antisocial, or especially in this society where diamond people will hear demon devil and so forth yeah, no, completely. And um, Neoplatonism came along, and they even made it more Baroque, didn't they, Kat? I mean, they didn't they divide the the daemon into three: astrological, spiritual, and vocational. Vocational yeah. is like what your your HR department of heaven or something like that, human resources. 
Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Good analogy. Um, yeah, and I, I'm actually was that might have even been Agrippa who said that. But basically, it, it's that idea that on a sort of more base level, you've got a vocational diamond, which is kind of telling you, hey, here's what you should do with with matter. Um, next level up is your astrological diamond, which, um, well, I don't have, I'm not really quite sure what the, the role of that was meant to be, but that's the one that you would be able to identify in your birth chart. And then you've kind of got the the, the spiritual diamond, which I think would be more closely aligned to um, having a, some kind of like uniting with the divine. Um, but, and even within, so even within the tradition, as I understood it, Iamblichus and Neoplatonists and Porphyry, um, they they had a bit of a disagreement uh talking to jeffrey kuffman he was kind of saying no it's they they aren't disagreeing as much as people think and that's something that i need to explore more but the way i understood it porphyry wrote about and and really tried to um gather like older texts like texts that we don't have the copies of um concepts of techniques outlines saying okay this is how you you know, figure out the the diamond in your birth chart. Um, whereas Iamblichus believed it was only through theurgy that you would make contact with with your personal diamond. Yeah, well, I think yeah, that makes sense. But uh, nothing wrong with disagreeing, especially with the, the Neoplatonists had that <laughs> swagger. Just as many of the Gnostics, they had no problem disagreeing with each other vehemently or so um but yeah jeffrey's book both living theurgy and a theurgist book of ours are great and he does has some good sections on the neoplatonic uh, daemon yeah and he, he he breaks it down and it's it's like i found it just very difficult as i think most people do to, to read the original text but um Kupman really goes into it and um makes that idea of one of the things I found was, you know, I don't know if I've got time to dedicate to some of these rich. I'm basically a, la a lazy um, theorist. I, I wouldn't be able to <laughs> dedicate enough time to it. But if you're up for it, he's the person to. Yeah, you're a drive-through theorist. <laughs> yeah, going exactly. to the restaurant, you're going to go to the window and <laughs> grab what you need. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, and, and what, what else on on that? Um, the theorists. Um, did you want to get into the astrology? Would that be that would be too too deep? Maybe no. I, we want to get into the astrology in in a few. Uh, you can go as deep as you want because I'm terrible at astrology. Uh, Vance can hang with astrology, but our audience is much of our audience is extremely versed on it. So just take off when it don't worry about me um, you know <laughs> i can i can find out nuances in the gospel of judas but when it comes to the stars i'm like okay um i have people i just pay people to or ask friends to help me out with that uh but we will get into the astrology but the other question i had for you cat is uh um jung had a daemon and you uh talk about obviously philemon his famous mm -hmm. guide and active imagination discovery, which gave us the Red Book, which is the platform for all Jungian ideas that are still very, well, in the occult world, very um, influential, impactful, and all that. And Philemon then becomes Simon Magus, and we find that Philemon is Simon Magus, but so forth. But then you also a figure that you talk about in your book is Philip K. Dick, mm -hmm. and Philip K. Dick seemed to have 
many daemons, or at least he seems to have fragmented daemons, like Horse Lover Fat, and then he had Valis. He had different versions of one daemon. Is that do you that's not uncommon, is it? I mean, I'm talking well, about two big Gnostic figures of the 20th century. One had one daemon, the other one had many. Yeah, and my experience has been it's having that I have one one daemon, but it it shows itself in a couple of different forms. So again, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to tell people like this is how it is, but my experience has been, okay, these don't feel like different beings or even a, even a fragmented one it just feels like um the, the diamond kind of showing itself in, in different ways so i think that could that could be an option um one thing that i you know a lot of people were asking me like does it evolve like does it change with you and that's one thing which i i can't really good question though yeah yeah and it, it would it would kind of make sense on some level but that would be like for me that would be like saying that that plot line that you agreed to before you came here that story is constantly changing, which kind of, I don't know, it, it, it screws with the idea that mm-hmm. there, there is actually a, a script that you kind of signed off. <laughs> at, yeah. at some point. Well, we're changing, right? We're, we're changing. So as we change that maybe uh, we can accept more and more of what the diamonds actually trying to tell us. Possibly. I just wonder if, if we're changing that, that that too is part of the script. Do you know what I mean? So like that that was always uh, going to happen. We were always going to free will <laughs> versus <laughs> determinism. And, yeah, and I, I do make. I mean, if, in fact, in a way, I see the diamond as related to free will on, on some level. Um, I don't so much call it free will as I call it um, like the the way we meet our fate, um, and that involves, you know, that involves free will basically. And there was a yeah, and, and astrologer Robert Schmidt, who kind of referred to the diamond as um, speaking to a kind of our intentionality or the, the the moment before we make the decision. And so, anyway, what I'm trying to say there is, I do think the diamond is very closely related to our free will. Um, the other thing that I've heard is, was it like I think it was the story with Plotinus where he thinks he's summoning his diamond, but a god shows up in its place. Oh yeah. And something yeah. that Iamblichus wrote was that. You you could actually your diamond could actually give over its job to another diamond or even a god. So while it may appear to us that we're getting um, like a, an evolved version of the diamond or our diamonds changing, our diamond could have just like given given the gig to somebody else, which I find funny. Like, I've had enough of this guy. Like this job was not what I signed up for. <laughs> this human is an idiot. He's never going to yeah. learn. I'm calling in the gods. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So. So yeah, that wasn't really an answer. That was an exploration of different possibilities, but yeah, different ideas. Yeah, especially when you get into fate and free will, that your heads will just start spinning and spinning. So why don't we talk a little about something that we all want and we all need, and that's uh, creativity. Isn't the daemon very associated with creativity? In fact, uh, the daemon might be, the the muse might just be a cipher for the daemon, and you, um, you brought a, you speak of a lot of artists who definitely had and were conscious of having a daemon like Blake and we just spoke about Githa, Philip K. Dick uh, and I love you write how uh, Kipling's daemon told him that's how anal it was that he only wanted black ink when he wrote 
Yeah, I, I love that. I love how much of a diva the Kipling <laughs> Diamond was. And um, I think it was it was Elizabeth Gilbert's TED talk where she kind of is kind of rallying creatives to um, accept that their creative work, or at least the, the good stuff, isn't theirs, that, mm. that it's not coming from them. And again, I, I think that it feels true for a lot of us. It feels that when we're doing our best work, it's coming from somewhere else. Um, and some, sometimes like we might get inspiration through dreams and I can't remember who it was, but um, might have even been uh, that sci-fi writer. Anyway, I can't quite remember the name. Um, it's kind of like, well, how can I take any um, credit for this work? Because it's like I'm just relaying what came to me in a dream. Like I didn't choose that dream. It didn't feel like I chose it. Um, so it almost feels like you're a fraud in that way. Um, and there's definitely an argument to be made for framing our creative source as the diamond or the genius or the muse, because it kind of takes the pressure off it in many ways. Mm. Um, I think it encourages us to be humble, if that's possible exactly. for a creative. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's I think, part of it. Um, and this idea that, and something I explore when I'm kind of thinking about this is, well, what, what would our, di our diamonds need to show up? And, you know, talk about uh, Kipling with the pens. I mean, I've had weird things about certain pens and well, it's all making sense now. I'm not just a really anal person <laughs> who has a thing for a certain pilot right. pen, but yeah, yeah. So, and I think one of the other favorite stories of mine was um, Maya Angelou, who would go to a hotel room and write every day there for, for several hours and oh. would take all the paintings off the walls and just basically like really grim maybe not like maybe motel rooms and um and then would go home and you know she wouldn't sleep there it, it was just that was the space that she had to be in this kind of neutral space um in order to, to write yeah, that is certainly artists have done. And uh, yes, I mean, I know, and obviously you've heard that all of us have like a, an article or a book. And for the most part, you're just, you're just working so hard. You know, it's every sentence and paragraph is so hard. But then there's that one book or article or piece of art. It just flows out of you and you're going, what the hell happened? And how come I can't do it more often? Exactly, exactly. And that that was an interesting thing to explore because it kind of gave me more like um sympathy for myself where I was like well that's okay that's okay the diamond has a maybe it has a will of its own you know maybe that's part of this maybe this this work wasn't meant to happen today mm -hmm. in this way um it kind of just chills you out a bit I think if you struggle with like creative block like so many of us do exactly exactly and uh as I'll keep repeating, your book has a lot of usable exercises, tips, rituals, if you want to follow it. It's not like you just say, hey, here it is. Go find your your daemon. Uh, and one of them you have, Kat, is when people ask, or maybe it was a rhetorical question of you and your daemon, but how do you know that the daemon is guiding us in our art? And you have, I think, what, five points? Yes. I have yeah. them here if you want, or do you want to tackle them? I have them written here. <laughs> if you have them, that would help. I'm just yes. trying to remember what Unless I do have them here. Let's see. Number one is schedule it. Yes. Number yeah. two is open and close your space. Number three is incubate. And number four is always be prepared. You want to yeah. speak to those? 
Yes, definitely. So um, yeah, that first one about scheduling it. And this isn't fun. I think a lot of the time um, people want to think that, oh, I'll, I'll create the thing when it when the inspiration strikes me and I, I think you know for some people that that really works and heck that there are definitely times when the diamond does strike us let's say um but but the idea that you kind of like set a date with your diamond um to, to kind of show up and I think sh showing the diamond that kind of respect and dedication to whatever it is that you ultimately want its help with um I think is well it's just polite <laughs> so <laughs> that's the first bit um opening and closing your space and this idea of ritualizing the creative space was something that, yeah, I hadn't really considered. And I realized I wasn't really that part of what I was understanding about my diamond was that it really wanted that kind of um, respect and dedication. And that also meant um, boundaries because uh -huh. yeah, I, 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 there's this quote here um, from David Paul Kirkpatrick it's important to put a lid on it just as Aladdin did like with the genie, you know, he, he calls right. his genie up and when he was through Aladdin shut the lamp. So I think it makes sense that the diamond, especially if we feel like our diamond um, has got this kind of, um, you know, dark or, or demonic side to it, or just a sort of trickster like side to it containing that is I think quite wise. So for me, like I've got now I've got like a, a candle burning and I always like that candle when I sit down to, read for a client or paint or anything else. Um, and then the third one was incubate. So this um, th this was helpful because, again, sometimes we're just not feeling it. And in fact, since finishing writing the book, it feels like my diamond has gone very quiet. I think it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's taking a break and it's kind of saying, Kat, you can take a break as well. So I think having that incubation period, realizing that um, there are times in our life where at least it feels like the diamond is dormant that's also okay especially if we have been working very hard um and then for um yeah always be prepared so this is when the diamond you know maybe it didn't show up for your date and you know it's been it's been several days and you think it's got the hump with you as they say <laughs> over here. Uh, and then you're out for a walk and it strikes so being prepared whether you have you know a pen and paper with you. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So it's great ideas I have in the worst places, and yeah. I can't write them down. And I get home, and I'm like, shit. <laughs> yes, that, and they go, and they go, and I'm like that with dreams a lot. And I oh, mentioned yeah. dreams a bit in the book, but I've been really trying hard to get myself to write my dreams down in the morning. But it's so hard mm -hmm. to remember. And uh, so these days, you are giving uh, lessons or you do work with clients to help them bring out their daemon or make contact with their daemon right yes and it, it would you know we go through those astrology techniques that i i mentioned and um what happens especially when you get to work with somebody is a whole lot of other things kind of come out which um the diamond seems to respond well to those conversations so that's one thing i do it's basically an extension of my astrology practice yeah Good, good. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's your uh, homepage? And it'll be in the show notes. But for those of you who are just listening to audio. Yes. So it's catroseastrology.com. Um, and that's cat with a, with a C. So like the animal. And your book, uh, where can they find out about your book? Um, you can, you'll be able to see links to that um, at my website, uh, catroseastrology.com. At the moment, it, there's a Kickstarter running to 
support the book and you know pick up different rewards if you want to dive deeper into the diamond um so that's going really well it's really funded so i'm really chuffed with that and that should be um running up until halloween oh well congratulations on that and now that it's funded when will the book be physically or digitally available i have a copy and i'm very happy so yeah i'm gonna gonna pretend i care about everybody else now (laughs) Um, they'll have to wait until November 1st and then the hardback will be coming out. Um, well, the hardback is only available at the moment through the Kickstarter. I'm trying to figure out other ways of um, getting that out on a bigger scale because posting books for the rest of my life doesn't sound so fun. <laughs> this is your first book, right? Second, actually, but um, my, yeah, yeah, second technically, it, it, but first in this kind of area. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, congratulations. And yeah, November 1st, that's uh all Saints Day and uh, the Day of the Dead in Mexico. So interesting. That's appropriate for the diamond. How appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be very happy. So <laughs> awesome. Well, you heard it here, audience. Uh, I enjoyed the book. There's, It's, again, uh, very educational. It's insightful. And you will get a lot of practical techniques. And uh, for even if, again, you don't know astrology, there's a lot of good stuff for just general mysticism and finding all about your daemon. So we are at the end. First of all, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company. Oh, I loved hearing about the diamond and uh, what a great, uh, what a great subject, Kat. So uh, I wish you well with it, with your book. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Yes, I, I, I think it'll do very well and you will make a, a demonic difference in the world. But Cat, uh, uh, thank you very much for coming on Aeon Bye. Good luck with all your projects and we look forward to our next time. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. The first part of our interview with Cat. Can you feel your daemon bursting out of your chest like a baby xenomorph? You will soon. In our second part, Vance gives us his famous speech on the porcelain gods. Then Cat grants us a robust section on finding your daemon in astrology. And this includes creating your charts and much more. You'll be surprised at the birth charts of notable people we discuss. Then she'll talk about how to name and treat your daemon, as well as other techniques to finding your daemon beyond astrology. We'll also discuss daemon-themed films. It was a lot of fun. And much more. As mentioned in the intro, and as a bonus for subscribers, I'll include an interview with Anthony Peake on, yes, The Damon, a perfect complement to an incredible interview. Don't miss it. If you find value in this content, in this Red Pill Cafeteria, please subscribe, and you'll get this and all interviews in their entirety. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You can now subscribe to the easy-to-use private RSS feed from Red Circle. No matter where you subscribe, it will cost you about a buck per episode. And that's a deal of many lifetimes. Membership to AB Prime or Patreon mid-levels includes full access to more than 500 quality shows. You'll get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and my Discord channel. Even support in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. mail really, really helps. 
There is also a link on the show notes if you want to donate via Stripe now. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list if you want to help there. Finding Hermes is going strong, and so are our Virtual Alexandra exclusive private meetings that include exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics and a monthly intimate Q&A. If you want to understand and experience Gnosticism and its full impact and liberating secrets, become an official citizen of the Virtual Alexandria. I've recently done presentations on Gnostic Astral Ascents, the Jungian Inner Journey, the Secrets of the Serpent Gnostics, and Sex Magic in Alexandrian Gnosticism. Quite a variety, eh? And you'll have access to all of these and future ones. Whew, I know that's a lot, but I gotta stay spread out as the Archons are always trying to cancel me and my daemon. I'm also on Rockfin if crypto is your bag. If you need help with all of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.